Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, it is Good Friday. I think I've told this story before, but uh, years ago, I was going out to dinner with a Jewish couple uh, on Good Friday. And she, she uh, <laughs> you know, that's funny because you tell us, I don't know which one. I was like, wait, wait. Oh, wait. I know this story, I think. Yeah. And um, we, uh, she greeted me. The wife said, uh, Happy Good Friday. And she said, Quizzical, is that proper? I go, Well, we don't usually, we don't usually use that greeting, but thank you for your wishes. And she goes, I looked up, looked it up what it was. It doesn't sound so good to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I told her it was a, uh, Bad day for Jesus, good day for the rest of the world. So, yeah. At any rate, so that's uh, Good Friday it is. And uh, we both did Monday, Thursday services last night. I actually, I kind of want to talk about Monday, Thursday, and then move into Good Friday. Can we do that? Is that all right? No. <laughs> no. No. Well, did you say when I said, I will and I can and I shall? Is that what you said? <laughs> I, I will, I can and I shall. Wait, because I did it. Well, is it, there's a literature. I can, I will, I will. I can, well, I will, I can, and I shall. I, I, afraid, I don't know if I did. I was thinking. Too. We need, we need to liturg. You need to put that together. <laughs> will, I can, and I shall. Will, I can. Somebody I shall. loved that. They sent me a comment. Matt Milner. I just, Matt Milner. Oh, Milner. Milner. Yeah, yeah, he texted Milner. me. Like, so. That's probably because he felt like saying that when he worked Ex- for me exactly. many times. <laughs> well, you know, I um, <laughs> sometimes the obvious just seems profound to me. But Monday, Thursday, the great mandate. It seems, <laughs> it seems to be. To be as so crystal clear. I mean, Jesus gives us one can. He gives us one commandment and one missional statement. The commandment is love as I have loved you. That's how you should love one another. And followed up immediately by that in John. It's, this is in John thirteen. The world will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. And it seems to me that we have ignored that for two thousand years. We've tried to run away from that as much as possible in so many different ways. Well, I would just say my only response would be via the Indigo Girls. The hardest to learn is the least complicated. <laughs> oh wow, that's a great song too. That, yeah, was, that was like their first hit, right? Yeah, I um, Emily Saylor's dad, Don Saylor's, is a theologian. I drove him back. I drove him from the airport in. Uh, outside of you know, Newark International to Princeton. And man, I had the nicest conversation with that guy on the ride, on that hour, hour and a half ride. Um, yeah. Uh, David Babico from Florida says he's failing. <laughs> on that, yeah, I am too. I mean, it's not... But, a, again, hard, I think the Indigo Girls are profound on this, though. It's not, it's not complicated. It's just hard. Well, but, but it seems to me it be, should be the central program of, of our existence. Uh, Over stewardship, organ fund, where (laughs) the the beneficence over uh, over uh, you know like bell choir. I mean, no, I mean this is you know you kidding. Well, I used to joke, and I've I've talked I've taught this to students and and staff that um, that we um, ah. Andrew's Andrew Gutnick out of Philadelphia saying he's, he's jealous, jealous of him. Her dad is a phenomenal theologian. I mean, he's really gifted. And, and, and just, so where, did, where did he teach? Uh, I think at Columbia. No, not Columbia. Maybe Emory. He t- he was in systematician, did like worship and theology. Hmm. He he's fantastic and just charming. I mean, as charming as all God. Just I like I dropped him off at George Hunsinger's and like he looked at me and I liked him. It was like almost like. Please don't leave me yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want this to end. <laughs> Please save me. <laughs> that was the. Uh, that's where the idea for Get Out came from. 
dropping people off at George Hussiner's house. <laughs> You're making get what? out jokes. You've got Alexa and Babylon, and you're watching Babylon Berlin, and I'm not. You're 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 with it. You're with it. I'm not. I'm liturgically appropriately dressed, but you're with it, and I'm not. <laughs> that bothers. That, and you know what? That bothers you. I, I mean, a little it's, bit. It does a little it bit. It gets to you. It does a little bit, but but Andrew's jealous. About, yeah, exactly. So you got that going for you. You got that. So all right, let's so money third. Yeah. So okay. So, so other than the but fact no, that, I I think oh the only reason I'm just gonna say I mean again you know the the this most simple or you know the hardest to achieve but it it does seem to me that there are some things that are so crystal clear in the gospel. There's a lot of things that aren't. There's a lot of things about our faith that's confusing. Um, God is infinitely hard to know, <laughs> and there's a lot of unanswered questions, but. When you would ask the question, well, what does Jesus want? He kind of said it right out there, you know, and whether whether you want the Johannine Jesus says it, whatever. And we have a whole day of the year where we supposedly talk about it, but we frequently don't. And we've, we all, we never do it. So is that day stewardship day? <laughs> what day is that? Valentine's Day? Pledge, pledge Sunday. Pledge Sunday. <laughs> you know that joke where uh, there's two guys on a desert island and, you know, like, their plane goes down and, you know, they're on this desert island. They're sitting there and after about two, three weeks, like the one guy's crazy, you know, going crazy nuts. And the other guy's just like, you know, steady Eddie, look, look, look completely calm. He says, why are you so calm? Well, I figure, you know, our flight left at the end of August. You know, now, two and a half, three weeks later, you know, this is, this is early September. It's stewardship season. I'm a Presbyterian. They'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, now, I don't like many religious jokes, but I like that. That was that's a good preacher joke. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. so I think um, you know it's interesting. I heard Tim Keller interviewed on this kind of conservative reform podcast, and one of the things he wrote this book about. It, it's I, this is really impressive. Me up here, he wrote this book. Reasons that's a for surprise, God. though. Yeah, I like Keller. I mean, I, like I know you like about surprise, it, but, but it's just. But you know, he wrote this book, Reason for God, and he realized that nobody. It got, it, I mean, it, it's sold very well and lots of people read it, but, it, but it's, the problem was like it only sold well among Christians. And he, so he tried to rewrite, do a new book, like for people that actually weren't Christians. And, and this is part of what led to his Nicholas Kristof dialogue. And in this interview, it was really interesting because they talked about the failure of the church to live up to this, all the church's moral evils. And I was like, okay, Keller, go for it, go for it. Here it is. And he's like, oh, that's a tough question. I'm like, no, it's not actually. If you take Augustine or St. Paul or even Jesus ser- seriously, that you know, the, what you know, it's not what goes into us, but what comes out of us, the heart, you know, is, is the seed of this. That the human condition is so fundamentally flawed, and that the church is not an original sin free zone, and that right. it's going to have an ambiguous record, which is why it continually is in a mode of repentance. So, like, yeah. on, on some sense, like, the church has intellectually the most honest, I think, best account of its own failures because of what the gospel, the Bible, the witness of scripture tells us about the nature of the human condition. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But it does, that command comes after he washes the feet. He gives us a model of service and, you know, you have, it's bookend. It's bookend between the betrayal, you know, Judas goes out and then Peter claiming he's not going to deny him. So, in some levels, the whole package is there. You have betrayal and denial, but in the middle of it is the only good reason that the church exists in the world and the only real thing we're to be about. And I think Monday, Thursday, going into Good Friday, it is a time of 
to repent and to live in that repentance and realize our failure of it. But then not just, well, we fail, we can't do it, it's human nature, original sin, and then get back to the, now what color is the carpet going to be? I just find that unacceptable. I, you know, for years I used to give this as an illustration. If in your church board meetings, if the first— what, You find the question, what color is the carpet, unacceptable, or there's a color you find unacceptable? <laughs> uh, the question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there is a— uh, We have a green carpet on the floor here for sound, I'm, I'm for sound purposes. I like it. It's beautiful. It really brings the room together. It ties the room together. Ties the room together. <laughs> we just keep, keep anarchists away from it. Uh, but— <laughs> What's your drink, dude? <laughs> the White Rush. <laughs> You're out of your league. <laughs> John Goodman is so good at that. He's so good at that. Um, but I say if your church meeting agenda is um, how do we deal with the poor, you know, feeding the poor, how do we care for the urban kids who are uh, in desperate needs for good education and are living in violence in our com- in the community near us, and three, what color is the carpet? After you've talked about one and two, you feel really stupid about arguing about the carpet. Now, I think most churches, everybody's saying, is, number one is going to be, well— uh, what educational plan do we do? What program do we do? It's the nature you know, of the human condition. But I you can, is... you can, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And everywhere I've pastored, we've certainly dealt with original sin issues, but we were able to do, we were able to come together around gospel kingdom things. No, I, I just think, I tend to think that if you start with the presupposition that, well, it's a pretty messy thing and, and, it's a miracle that we there, there are real miracles, and your ministry is a testament to it. Like that, you are more patient with people than if you think, well, it's it's not hard, it's not complicated. Let's get to it, because then you're just angry that people screw it up, which they inevitably do. <laughs> well, you're angry. You get angry. Well, it's okay. Some anger is okay, but as long as you are not, we did a whole podcast on self deception. So, uh, what why a lot of pastors I think get in trouble is you. Failed to see the old the old preacher story. If I got one finger pointing at you, brother, I got four pointing at me. You know, so if you if the lack of internal you know internalization in your own message is a problem, we all struggle with it. But I still think you know uh, Juan Carlos Ortiz. But if you give someone the finger, you only have three pointing at yourself, and one's just referee. One's kind of neutral. That's beautiful. Yeah, I know. But yeah. That, could, that could be a, That should be a I poster. Have, I have. I have. If, that had been, if you'd have put down a poster, I'd have had that on my wall in college. But then that would be impossible. I don't know what that says about my wall. your college existence. <laughs> but Juan Carlos Ortiz is an interesting guy, and I think I've told the story before, but he got hired at a church in South Central America or South America, maybe Brazil. Uh, he was a Pentecostal preacher, and they had you know Sunday morning, Sunday evening. And so he preached, um, brothers and sisters love one another. That was his first sermon. Then that Sunday night, brothers and sisters love one another. So for the next month, every sermon he preached the same text. And his elders took him aside saying, brother, when are you going to preach a new sermon? And he said, when you all start living the one I'm preaching. <laughs> and I think I've always remembered that. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, if we do keep first things first and the very, the very nature, because it's so hard and such a struggle, then maybe rather than avoiding it, we should just keep struggling with it and keep muddling through it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in, in complete agreement with you on that. But I generally think the way that you... Encourage to walk in that way is more. It's less just telling people, "Hey, we got to." You you find again, it's description more than prescription. If when you paint pictures that captivate people's imaginations, that it, it and and really they become they have experiences where you know I think Paul Tripp says that most people they're struggling really 
they don't need information as much as imagination. And I think that, that, you know, storytelling and figuring out ways to like actually put before them a kind of witness that's, you know, self-effacing and also inspiring in the best sense of the word. I, I just think that's the way people generally tend to be motivated. I think you need to get them off their asses and out doing something in the world, to be honest with you. I mean, I think... But what gets... Okay, let's just... Let's, but run, know, with, let's saying, run with that premise. What gets, like, so you saying... Or what gets people, you know, when some artist makes some documentary film, like, that beautifully describes love, you know, a picture of love or a picture of need, and the, these things, like, I, I just don't... I, I think, like... I mean, get, getting people off their asses, you can do that, you know... The best system to do that right now, I think, is China. It's most efficient. You can get anybody where you want. You can get, you know, okay, there's environmental problems. There's you can, now, I'm thinking I'm thinking getting people to encounter the poor and to live with those in need, not to put people in a gulag. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I, I think I'm in agreement. I think, like, I think there's a lot of spectator Christians who live in their heads. Who want to take more and more, get more and in. You know, a good example. I remember this person. I resemble that remark. <laughs> Maybe we should move to Good Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, if we move to Good Friday. So this is what I'm thinking. Oh, shoot, I just lost my page. Darn. Go on. Talk more about... No, I've, I think I've, I've run it into the ground and made my point. <laughs> I just, you know, I think I just... I remember one person I knew in my young adulthood who I just, you know, this person went to all this... Every Christian concert, every Christian thing they could um, they could go to, and I and the person always irritated me. And then they one day came and wanted to volunteer with me with Young Life, and uh, I was kind of reluctant, but I said, "Sure." This person was transformed um, and just loving broken, hurting kids. Um, suddenly, this person, everything this person was taking in and soaking up as a Christian, suddenly actually transformed it. And I've always that was an early lesson to me that the, one of the best ways to to actually live into the incarnation is to live out the incarnation. Again, it's easy to become just doers. I'm not just talking about doing. I'm not talking about running around being busy at the church. I'm talking about walking with the poor. Thank you, Brian. I stole your book's title. Uh, I used to be director of World Vision, uh, Walking with the Poor. But I, I think that, or walking with people in need, or you know, and that can be <laughs> that can be a sitting with a, a, a shut-in person, uh, giving a cup of water to a thirsty person. I, I had someone join my church because someone gave them a bottle of water on a hot day, and they said, thank you. And they said, well, I'm from Media Presbyterian Church, and thought you looked thirsty. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't know what God can use, but— uh, Carry bottled water in the car. They will know you are Christians. By the bottled water. Although, bottle, although bottled water kills the environment. You know that? So well, does, right. We, does, we don't, need, we don't need more plastic. No, I, I know. But the point being, um, you know, when did I see you? When did, when did we see you? see me right now. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you. 
to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Michael Butera, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Andrew Stravitz, and Jennifer Underwood. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. When do we see you, Lord? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So this is um, from Aberhard Yunkel's God is the Mystery of the World. The subtitle I love, On the Foundation of the Theology of the Crucified One in the Dispute between Theism and Atheism. It's that's, a, that's a great title. It's I a love, fantastic I love book. That. I love that. But he's and talking... Can you tell me who he is? Aberhard Youngo. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, he I was know. a student of yeah. Bard's. Yeah, no, I know. Maybe it's his book, um, um, God's Being is, and Becoming, is basically sort of paraphrase commentary on Bart's Dr. Sheen. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Um, but he's talking about Bonhoeffer here early in the book. And he says, we said that Bonhoeffer demanded that God not be thought of without the world, which for its part is to be thought of without God. Now, the paradox is resolved in that not thinking God without the world means to think God as the one who lets himself be pushed out of the world, and thus the one who relates himself to the world. To let oneself be pushed out, to depart, to go away, are all something other than a total lack of relationship. This can actually signify the most intensive relationship. The relationship established by departure must not necessarily be negative either, He's, of course, you're thinking God is dead and the world turned from God. It can even imply an intensification. Thus, for example, the departure of the Johannine Christ is what first makes it possible to approach him properly. Hmm. Yeah. God is therefore thought as God and, and not without the world when God so understood allows the worldliness of the world without God to be thought. That, I think, is so brilliant. Yeah, that is beautiful. It's powerful. Yeah. I often think Good Friday should be the greatest atheist holiday. This is like where Chesterton talks about, like, you know, God, you know, for a moment seemed an atheist. My God, my God, why mm-hmm. have you forsaken yeah, me? Yeah, Becker said something like that. There are three atheists in the Bible, Jeremiah, Job, and Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it was typical Becker and Becker's powerful rhetoric, but there's a certain point to that. Yeah, I remember one time, actually, Andrew, since Andrew, uh, I, I did all seven words at a Good Friday service at um, Church of the Holy Trinity. I preached all seven, which, you know, usually it is, if you do those services where there's seven words, you have different preachers for each one. But I did all seven. That's always a competition. Well, I don't think of it that way. I used to well, think, well, you're that way. Yeah, you don't have an ego. But I think most people think of it like a competition. Oh, well, <laughs> You've I, never honestly thought in one of those things, oh, I think that was, maybe I was a little better than that guy no. or gal. Well, never, it, never. No, I think the times I've been, I mean, usually I, most of those, I would bring other preachers in and not preach. No, but I'm saying if you were invited. I was invited to one. I was invited to the, uh, one of the African-American uh, ministeriums. Yeah. And to preach the seven last words. And usually if you're at a typical mainline church, you preach for five minutes. No. Here, I didn't realize <laughs> they preached full sermons 
Oh, yeah. yeah. For, no, yeah. I was there. I preached in some of those. I was there to Holy Saturday. <laughs> yeah, no, I preached in Amy Zion Church in Pittsburgh. I didn't even, yeah, things. I didn't even try to think about competition then. No, I, I well, um, but it was an interesting thing to go through the whole rhythm of all seven last words at one time by myself. And, uh, and, um, yeah, I was. I thought word two was better than word four myself. I was competing against myself. <laughs> it's like like a track meet. Which one better my time? But uh, there is something about this this day where you think about each of those each of those words, and and you know you know it's funny to me even what you you know if you if putting them together it has one narrative. Looking at each gospel writer by themselves, um, it's it's really each each one kind of deals with it in different ways. And um, uh, to the point where, you know, a couple of, they avoid the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's only in Mark and Matthew, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, Luke and John back off of that one. You know, John, you know, John, it's finished. You know, it's all taken care of. You know? But, um, yeah, but it's John's gospel is such an interesting thing because sometimes it seems so mystical and, and formulaic, but then you have these, like, these tender vignettes, like the whole thing with his mother. Now, I know that could be symbolic of, you know, Mary as the church and <clears throat> disciples being given to the church, church giving disciples, and I think that's a powerful part of it. But just this idea of, of Jesus' last, idea, you know, last thoughts being with his mother and reminding us uh, something that certainly, um, you know, if you pray the rosary, um, and uh, again, for me, one of the redemptive parts of Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ was the portrayal of Mary. I thought that was something that, you know, in the midst of whatever you want to say about that movie, I thought that was particularly poignant. Um, what about the redemptive parts of Lethal Weapons? All of well, them. All of them. Let, them, let <laughs> me no, count like, the ways. Let yeah, me count the yeah, ways. Yeah, no, I like particularly one and two. By three, they were three just Three was awful. Here. Yeah, but one and two was great. Yeah. No, but I think about this idea. Braveheart? Oh, Braveheart's awesome. Road Warrior? <laughs> uh, it's also a great Mad movie. Max Beyond Thunderdome? Yeah. Tina Turner? Tina Turner makes that movie, yeah. But no, I thought you know we're doing us we're doing a, a for our tonight. We're doing a, a musical cantata thing, and uh, it's funny. The, the last song is Pieta, and you know, when I first the first time we ran through, it, okay, you know, I'm a little some of these overly sentimental, you know, uh, Passion of Christ songs. I, I sometimes think the sentiment gets in the way of the truth, but um, but this song it does a rhythm. It's Mary sing. It goes through. Mary singing to the baby born in nativity, and Mary singing to Jesus after she found him in the temple, and then uh, you know her singing to him as she's off the gra- off the cross. Yeah, and it's just um, it's just you know that 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 image of the extreme humanity of God, as you say. I think that's a are you is that original for you that this should be the atheist holiday? That is to original to me. Yeah, and I think there's something about that. Uh, Thomas our, that I know. You know Thomas Hollick would be uh, would be in full affirmation about that. But as you know, many of you know, my son's been in the hospital, and uh, God willing, he's coming home Monday. But I was in there today, and you know, he's, his face—he's got the—he has a beard, and he's lost weight. His face is not, and something was going on today. He was in extreme pain, and I was just on Good Friday watching him, and it was this kind of iconology uh, for mm. me of uh, thinking. You know, what would it have been like to have loved him so much and to watch your son, you know, go through the kind of suffering that, that he does? I, there was a, there's a scene that is burned in my memory when, um, a young man, he, um, the week he should have been chasing co-eds at his college, he was dying. And, um, the family, I was with the family through a long series of tragedies and we get there tonight that he, he was finally told this kid fought this this cancer tooth and nail, and 
he was told in the morning that there was nothing else they could do for him. And he, 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 was, he died within 12 to 18 hours. And I walk into the hospital room the last night he's alive. And his aunt is beside me. And um, his mother is holding him. Mm. And the aunt turns to me and she goes, it's the Pieta. Mm. And so for me, part of Good Friday is the idea of the what the Alexandrian school fought for, the best, I think, of Lutheran theology as well, the radical identification of God with humanity so that he is present in all of our crucifixions. Second half of 1517. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I liked your Lutheran endorsement. Uh, no, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. because my... My Monday Thursday talk was ripping it apart. Yeah, I, I like. It. So <laughs> and I think is, I think they do great violence to sanctification. Well, uh, you know. But anyway, but no, but you I can't do. make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. <laughs> uh, so this is a, another short passage from Young Old Bonhoeffer. He says that for if God lets Himself be pushed out of the world and bears the world on the cross as the world which will not bear Him, then the being of God is in fact to be thought of as a being which explodes the alternative of presence and absence. This has its consequences. If God existed only in the sense of worldly presence, then who would be conceived of as a massive superlative of worldly presence? Even if, which would be Donald Trump, a massive superlative no, don't, of Don't mention the name on the Friday. Yeah, sorry. So, massive superlative of worldly presence. Even if this presence were thought of fundamentally as superiority to the world, and thus as worldly omnipresence. If God is conceived of thus, then Augustine's proposition of true is true. If thou comprehendest, then it is not God. But if God is present as the one who is absent in the world, hmm. if absence is not simply the alternative opposite to the presence of God, then what Bonhoeffer presented as the interpretation of the cross event actually expresses, in fact, in, in focused soteriological fashion, the ontological characteristics of the divine being. Hmm. I, I think that that's it's heavy, but it's. And I feel like this is like wait, put the put the reference to that presence and, and absence. I yeah. mean, like the sense of. And you should put that in the show notes so people can read that. Oh uh, yeah, we have to take screenshots. Of that. I don't know that this is on Kindle. It's a like, fantastic book. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not an easy book, but right. it's it's but you know, I mean, he's saying here that this idea of I mean, Bart says God is no higher than in his humility, and basically says if you can't take that in your doctrine of God, then you don't have a Christian doctrine of God. And so this sense, no, the, I agree. the sense of which that God's absence is a form of, of God's presence. Yeah, no. So these are not a zero-sum game played off against each other, either God's absent or presence. Present. That these, th- th- there's a sense in which when God is revealed, he's hidden. Right. And yeah. when he's hidden, he's revealed. Yeah. And, and so that, you know, so I think like the Good Friday is the sense in which God's total abasement, right, the hiddenness, the rock-bottomness, is actually a form of revelation. No, I agree 100%. I think that's, I think that's, that's who God is. Yeah. And I think, in, you know, uh, I mean... Rabbi, and that means Easter becomes a form of hiddenness, too. When God is most revealed, yeah. there's also a hiddenness. Yeah, no, the kind of overly triumphalistic nature of the... That's why I love, you know, I talked about we love the Mark passage yeah. for Easter, which I'm preaching on. Uh, are you preaching on the market? I am. Yeah. And, uh, I'm doing the snake handling. <laughs> I'm leaving that out. <laughs> is that scripture? But you can trample. It doesn't say hold them. You can step on them. This no, is, but that's not the Bible, you would say, right? Like the longer ending. I think if it's there, it's in. If it's in, it's in. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, all right. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think of that as canonical, but if it's in, it's, it's bracketed. In. It's very bracketed. <laughs> you know, if the book, if the book of Revelation could be in, the book of Ecclesiastes could be in. The longer, the longer ending of, of, of there's a lot worse things in the Bible if it's in than the long ending of. I'm, I'm extending the reading, going with Gardner's Gardner things. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it's absolutely, I think the revelation of uh, uh, Rabbi Isaac Lurie, the lion. What about rattler snakes in a can? And he's like, <laughs> you can use that for your sermon illustration tomorrow. Yeah. I just want to go, April Fools, y'all thought I was dead. I'm alive. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Guess what? How many, how, many, how many preachers will work that in? I don't know tomorrow or Sunday. I won't. But I think this idea, and Isaac Luria said uh, that, um, and has been very influential, a 16th century Jewish mystic, um, said that the idea of a creation was this idea of God pulling back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so and Moltmann quotes that in the yeah, Crucified and, and it actually is a kenosis kind of, you know, it it's fits in. So that the idea of the humility of God, the revelation of the humility of God in Good Friday is if you look, if you actually look, with open eyes to the whole story, the whole thing starts out with the humility of God, and you know, uh, up through God's friendship with a you know middle Bronze Age man. You know, so uh, was he a bronzed man though? No, I don't know. Well, he, he spent a lot of time out out in the elements. I'm sure he had, he was dark skinned. So bronze, golden. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. I, I, don't do it on Good Friday. It's hard. Yes. We would have the best Good Friday. Oh, uh, don't. So, at any rate, yeah. But this idea of the emptying of God and the, the revelation of God in Good Friday, to me, it is, um, you know, I know all the pomp and circumstance goes into Easter, but uh, um, I, I still think sometimes Protestant churches miss something by not having Christ still on the cross, because for most of us, the crucifixion is still happening. And uh, that's that's the Christ we cling to. We may look to hope with the resurrected Christ, but it is the crucified Christ that comes to us in our most desperate and suffering moments. Amen to that. I was going to c- conclude with a quote from Brother Halik. I was thinking of this, this we, we've talked about this before, but this great thing where Halik says about Nietzsche's God is dead. God is dead. That sentence uttered at the end of the 19th century continued to fascinate for the next hundred years. Maybe it was only a sentence about God and against God, but also containing something of God's message to us. A God who has not endured death is not truly living. A faith that does not undergo Good Friday cannot attain the fullness of Easter. Crises of faith, both personal and in the histories of culture, are an important part of the history of faith, of our communication with God, who is concealed and returns again to those who do not stop waiting for the unique and eternal word to speak to them once more. Amen. Amen. Mercy speaks by Jesus' blood Hear and sing ye sons of Speaks loud and sweet Here all deity can be And without a jarring voice Welcome Zion to rejoice Welcome Zion to rejoice 
Shall go 